Hello, everyone. If we haven't met before, I'm Alex Norman. I'm the co-founder of TechTO. I'm an operator with two exits. I've had a bit of professional service in my life, and I'm an active investor in the Canadian ecosystem as both the head of Canada for AngelList and the partner of N49P. Thanks for joining us for the latest episode of Founders and Funding. Uh, we launched Founders and Funding to demystify the fundraising process and the relationship between investors and founders. There's a lot of knowledge out there, but we found it was better to go right to the source and hear all the different stories. Today, I'm super excited for, for you for joining us. We have a double shot. We're trying something new. We have our main fireside, which today features uh, Kerry Goldman, Bank Capital, and Joseph West, co-founder and CEO at Relay Financial. But after that conversation is done, we're going to have a quick chat with a Canadian company that raised a recent round, an early stage company, um, this time one from Saskatoon. Stay, you have to say that then to find out who they are. Now, for, the, for those of you that are joining our live recording of the podcast, um, there's a few ways we want to interact with us. We want you to be part of the show. So if you look to, to the left, you have a chat. Put any questions you want us to weave into the conversation. You can help shape the future of this fireside. Um, to keep, make sure we have energy, take, take advantage of those emo, uh, emojis. Blast them. We love customized emojis based on the conversation. Use it to give us feedback. Um, and finally, if you're enjoying what you hear, you hear some tidbit of information you have to share with the world, please do so on social media using the hashtag TikTio. But let's not let's not delay anymore and let's get started. Um, I'd love to have Carrie and Yosef please join us on stage. Awesome to be here. I'm I'm so glad to have you guys. Um, and and Yosef, like I feel like I've known you for like 25 years because. There's now something with COVID that everything I knew before COVID seems like it was like 20 years ago. Um, yeah. Uh, but, and I, I, I've used a mainstay of the Toronto tech ecosystem, but for people that don't know you, could you give us sort of your background? Joseph? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, sorry. I think I'm having some some wife some temporary Alex, Wi-Fi issues there. Uh, but yeah, let me let me give you a. a am I am I coming through clearly? Now? Yeah, you're coming through clear now. Okay, perfect. Wonderful. Oh my god, technical difficulties already. Hey, um, it happens. It happens. Uh, okay, cool. Um, my name is Yusuf West. Uh, I'm the co-founder and CEO of Relay. Uh, we're basically like next generation banking for employer SMBs, like primarily focused on the U.S. Uh, my background, primarily like SMB fintech, like accounting tech. Um, I started a company that was acquired by uh, Wave in Toronto, spent kind of a year there, and then was the third employee at a company called HubDoc uh, and built out a global marketing function there until the exit uh, to zero, um, which we'll, I think we'll, we'll get into, given that Kerry was the one who sponsored that deal. Um, yeah, great to be here. So glad to have you. And, and we're going to go back into your background a bit later. Kerry, uh, love to learn a bit more about your background. Excellent. Alex, can you hear me okay? Yes, you're perfectly clear. Okay, I don't seem to be able to hear Yosef, so you'll have to tell me what he says for some reason. Um, <laughs> hopefully, it's, uh, let me know if there's anything I can do on my side. But I'll give you my quick background. Just know, Alex, you might have to sort of toggle back and forth. Um, I've handled worse and bigger challenges. I, and, I'll, and, if, and, if he, and if he says something about you that you need to know, I'll make sure we, I repeat it. I only want to hear the good things, so skip okay. all the bad ones. Thank you. Cool. <laughs> Um, so listen, I am a uh, an operating partner at Bain Capital Ventures. I joined the organization about two years ago. And what that means is I have a lot of flexibility in how I spend my time. So I spend about half of my time uh, working on new investments, finding amazing founders, evaluating great companies. And then about half my time actually rolling up sleeves with a number of our portfolio companies and sort of lending a bit of my operating background as well. Uh, prior to joining Bain Capital Ventures, I spent the last 20 years or so as an operator, really focused in on some combination of financial services in a more traditional sense at companies like GE and Capital One, and then at fintechs like uh, Intuit and most recently Zero. Um, germane to this conversation is I spent uh, most of my time at Capital One actually running the small business bank. Uh, which has a uh, significant applicability to what uh, Yosef and the team are doing at Relay. And then at Zero ran uh, the Americas, but also um, our global platform business, which was building the beginnings of embedded uh, payments, lending, and insurance in our app marketplace worldwide. I also had the privilege of working with uh, 
uh, USF, at least briefly uh, touching uh, as, uh, as my team led the acquisition of a company called HubDoc out of the Toronto ecosystem. So uh, super happy to, uh, to be here and to talk with all of you today. Um, it's, it's amazing background. And before I go back to you also with questions, a couple more questions just to understand, Carrie, your background. So like, it sounds like you had a pretty amazing roles at these large financial institutions. So why move over to be, you know, work in venture capital? Yeah, well, you know, it's funny. I think that one of the things that has been most exciting to me in my operating background is getting to have a real impact on um, small business owners, on big companies, on teams that I had an opportunity to lead. And one of the things that was really fun at Zero as well is running our app marketplace. So getting to meet, you know, over a thousand companies that were really just starting on the back of what we were doing at zero. And I realized what's amazing about an operating background is you get to sort of spend your time every single day thinking about the company aspects of the business and, and going really deep. What's been amazing about investing is the impact you can have on many companies. And so I've spent my whole career trying to sort of transform financial services and find a better way to, to sort of make this sector work for people. And it's, it's frankly just been a, a really uh, a sector that, that needs innovation deeply, is overly complex. Um, and, you know, investing is an opportunity to have impact at scale. So you can work with many companies, many founders, many people, and to be right on the edge of innovation. And that, uh, you know, I just couldn't resist the opportunity to have an even bigger impact. And it just felt like a really natural extension of what I was already doing at Zero with the App Marketplace. And one other question about before I jump back to Yosef. So it sounds like you're passionate to have an impact at scale, multiple yeah. companies. Bain's a relatively large firm, right? Um, and you're operating partner with a strong financial background. So I assume you focus only on fintech. And is there a specific thesis or certain type of deals you're looking at getting involved on? time really in two areas. So Bain Capital Ventures is the venture arm of Bain Capital. Yeah. And what's awesome about that is we can move really nimbly. We can move quickly. There's just 30 of us in the team, but we're responsible for about $6 billion in assets under management. But we have access to this much bigger global platform. So it doesn't slow us down, but it does give us power to be able to do more for our companies. Um, what's really great about the venture team is that we tend to focus on domain. So we do a lot of business to business. We do a lot of SaaS and infrastructure, and then we specialize in some combination of fintech, e-commerce infrastructure, security and privacy, and healthcare. So we tend to focus on domain. I spend most of my time on a combination of B2B SaaS and fintech. And what that means is, and I also spend time in healthcare focusing on fintech too, okay. because healthcare has payments. And so what our thesis, and specifically the place I spend time, is focusing in on helping businesses operate more efficiently and a significant amount of time recognizing that every company is a financial services company. So really focusing in on platforms that are critical and then building embedded, either investing both in, the, in either in the platform or in the embedder. So payments companies, lending companies, insurance companies that are going to enable these platforms at scale. So those, that tends to be the place I spend most of my time. So I strongly believe that, um, companies that help people operate their businesses more efficiently or help them operate in their consumer lives more efficiently, that those are the places where people are going to want to transact and execute financial services, not necessarily at a traditional bank. So, and so I think that's a perfect segue to go into, um, Oh, we just lost Yosef. Uh-oh. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure he'll be back. Uh, he will so be back. yeah. So maybe while we wait for him, I'd love to hear a bit more about like, let's talk about the first time you met Yosef. Um, yeah. you know, so you were, you were at a company called zero. Which... I was at a company called zero. We acquired this amazing, uh, company called HubDoc out of Toronto. And there were these two co-founders that led the group, uh, Jamie McDonald and Jamie Shulman, who some of you probably know in the ecosystem. I see the claps. Love those yes. guys. So terrific. Um, they are awesome. And I had the great pleasure of working closely with them. Um, Yosef left just kind of prior to the acquisition, but Jamie McDonald uh, reached out and said, I've got this incredible company. You've got to talk to Yosef and you need to sort of learn more about what they're doing. 
Um, and so I met Yosef and there were sort of three things off the bat that were really impressive. One is the team he'd assembled to co-found the company, uh, both himself, his co-founder Paul, and a few others. The second was the business model they built, this sort of new way of thinking about small business banking and financial management, but deeply connected into the accounting ecosystem, which was so powerful. So I found Yosef in particular very credible in the space, uh, given his background. Um, and the third was I started calling around to some of his customers, and um, they started telling me how amazing this guy is. Product's not perfect, but he listens, he's incorporating, <laughs> he's laughing, he's incorporating our feedback, and we really believe that this is going to be an incredible product and it's already delivering a lot of value. So, so that was how we met through a mutual contact, um, and I did some early snooping around and was just really impressed, and, and so I had to lean in a little harder. Cool. Yosef, and Yosef, we're glad to have you back. Yes. Yeah. Sorry, I was having some major technical difficulties. Oh, I, I think I think it's resolved. Yeah. Excellent. So yeah. maybe you know while you're gone, we're trying to hear about the initial connection, and we'll get back to that. Yeah. But let's take a step back for and just in case someone doesn't know what Relay does, and you did a yeah. brief a brief introduction to it in your intro. Tell tell everyone what yeah. Relay is. Yeah. So so it's next generation banking for like employer SMBs. Uh, we make it easy to actually like collaborate uh, with your team. So you get like user permissions. You can actually like automate all your bills. We centralize all the bills. You have financial controls like baked into your bank account, which is really great. So you don't have to use, you know, TV's shitty online bill pay. Uh, can I say that? Yeah, you um, can. And the, yeah. And then you can like manage your expenses uh, through relay cards, a bundle. Um, and so our core thesis and our, our view is that over the last, call it seven to 10 years, every part of the small business bank account has been unbundled, right? Like I think bill.com is a perfect example of that. They took online bill pay at Bank of America and said, this sucks, let's do it for businesses and let's do it right. Um, and you know, we've seen kind of like that thesis play out. And as these cycles go, they typically go kind of like unbundle and then rebundle. Yeah. Two it's ways two, to make two, money. Yeah. And... <laughs> the classic line, two ways to make money, right? Unbundle yeah. and unbundle. So let's yeah. take a step back. You, you like. You have a very interesting background, like one that I think is, is very unique. Um, so talk about how the different steps or stops you've taken along the way played to realizing, understanding there was an opportunity here to create Relay. Because I, I don't think, I think I have to think the stops you did yeah. did play, uh, have an impact. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, it's, it's always hard to tell where your career is going to take you. Uh, I definitely didn't think I was going to land in accounting tech. Um, that, that wasn't, you know, we got on like as an eight year old, I want to be an accounting tech guy. Um, yeah, exactly. Uh, I wish, I wish I had that level of purpose. Um, so, uh, yeah, the, the genesis for the business basically, um, when we were, you know, when I was working at HubDoc, I was there, you know, four and a half years, uh, I would keep like an Evernote notebook. And I know that slightly dates me because no one uses Evernote anymore. Uh, but I'd keep an Evernote notebook of every challenge that we faced as a business, like any problem, like no matter how small or big. Um, and one of the ideas was like small business banking. Like I would hear the Jamies complain about it or swear about it quite often. Um, and I was like, okay, that's like a, a good one to go and explore. Um, and as you know, Paul and I were like thinking of ideas and like working this through, um, there were kind of three core things that we wanted, like three boxes we wanted to check um, in terms of an opportunity. So one was like a macro uh, kind of change that was gonna happen in the world, whether we built the business in the space or not. So HubDoc, our whole bet was people were going from desktop-based accounting to cloud accounting as a once-in-a-generation shift. Uh, and we just had to survive long enough to like have that shift, you know, tip. Uh, and I can tell you there was like a lot of, uh, in the early days, like crying into your pillow at night being like, oh, 20% growth, it's $200 a month, right? Um, and uh, yeah, so so our, our core view was that like in 10 years, uh, banking was going to be digital by default. Um, and whether we built Relay or not, someone was going to build a business like this. Two was actually having like some type of like competitive advantage, uh, like some you know kind of founder market fit. Uh, obviously, like my background is like SMB fintech. I've been at Wave, I've been at HubDoc. Like I know the ecosystem really well, uh, and I have like a distribution advantage around like accounts and bookkeepers. That's how we scaled the HubDoc business basically. Um, and the view was we could apply that playbook here as well as a lot of that domain expertise. Um, and then I, I know I'm, I'll, I'll let you jump in in a sec. Oh. And the last thing, yeah. Was, was like a unique insight. So something you kind of like understand about the world that like very few people do. Um, so the HubDoc business was basically like centralizing all your key financial documents for small business owners. Um, and that was kind of such a huge pain point for accountants and bookkeepers and the small business owners they worked with. 
Um, but really what was happening behind the covers was we built kind of like uh, bank statement fetching. It was web scrapers that downloaded bank statement PDFs. And accounting and bookkeeping firms would pay us anywhere from a few hundred bucks a month to five, ten thousand dollars a month to just download a PDF and bring it into our software. And then we were global strategic partners with Intuit and Zero. And their number one feature request wasn't better like cash flow reporting. It's actually just bank feeds that work. So how the banking data gets in. And so we realized that the access to financial data um, is kind of a limiting factor on financial visibility for these business owners. We thought, how do you attack that problem? And realized the only way to do it is to be the bank and attack it at a foundational level. Um, and we thought about what would it mean for a bank to be deeply integrated into the small business back office? Could you increase financial visibility? Could you make these business owners more successful? And that's really kind of where it started. Um, and that, so, yeah. I love the insights. I love how you came across the product. A couple of things I didn't hear, I'm, I'm curious. Like one is, you talked a lot about HubDoc. You also worked at Wave. So what insight and impact did that have on how you thought about this problem? Because I know Wave is tangentially related to banking, but it is still your, you know, you know, your financial statements. Yeah. Like, I, I mean, what was built at Wave is like, obviously a great Canadian success story. Um, the, the insight, I think, as it relates to like accounting software in general and banking is that it needs to be like a deeply symbiotic relationship. Um, and the tighter, you know, the union is wound, the better the value is for the business owner. Um, so for example, like we have this functionality that integrates into both zero and QuickBooks online to like pulling your unpaid bills. And it kind of, it's a two way sync between the bank account and the accounting system. And the benefits you get are like, it's actually much neater from a bookkeeping perspective because we're the bank and we're able to like kind of make it without getting super nerdy here and tactical, make the bookkeeping like super, super uh, straightforward. And you get like best in class payment settlement times because we're the bank account. We're not pulling from one place and sending it to another, right? So it's like same day or next day payments versus three to five business days um, to actually like pay your bills, which is huge for small business owners. And then one last question in the background. So yeah. you had this unique, you're at HubDoc, you know, probably have some connections in the zero after the acquisition, you're at Wave. Did that provide a talent advantage? Did you know how to get some people had some domain expertise and just pull them out? Uh, I think we definitely, Are, sorry, like, and they proactively joined you. Not that you pulled them out. So <laughs> let yeah, me rephrase that. You never pulled anyone out. They all came to you, of course. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, I think, I think being sensitive to yeah. kind of, uh, people that I, I care about and want to see succeed is, is something I, I did to the best of my ability. Um, we've definitely had some, some hub dogs as we, we called them, uh, join us. Um, and we're super grateful to have them on the team. Cool. Um, yeah. yeah. And uh, yeah. So love this background, love, so you go and launch a company. And when did you actually launch it? Uh, it was late June, 2019. Okay, so, you know, Bain came in finance day round, but tell us what happened before Bain. So you did a, I think, scene round with um, yeah. BTC, uh, Better Tomorrow. Ventures, that. Yep. yeah. Yeah, uh, Ventures or BTV. Um, tell us like you launched, how did you get that initial round to come together? Because those guys are both in San Francisco and yeah. You know, what, what were you looking for from your backers there? And yeah, love to hear how that round came together and what you were trying to accomplish. Absolutely. So, so for a little bit of background, uh, we did like a pre-seed in kind of like January, 2019 prior to like launching the, the product into, into market. Um, and so we kind of like, you know, focused in on our customers and, and growing the product and validating our perspective that, you know, this kind of thesis would work um, and kind of COVID hit. Uh, at the beginning of like 2020, right? February, March, we were planning to go out and do a fundraise uh, at that stage. And so, you know, in, in transparency, we we battened down the hatches, negotiated every vendor relationship we had, asked team members to do like salary, everything we could to like make sure we were, you know, gonna make it through. Um, and so what ended up happening was like that lean focus on our customers really forced a lot of creativity and a lot of traction. Um, and so as we went through that summer and we started to fundraise, we started to get like really great introductions. And, and one of our angel investors, uh, Jeremy Yap, was actually uh, instrumental in that introduction to Jake and Sheil, who are the partners um, at BTV. Um, and, uh, you know, for, for context, like Jake actually has a famous tweet where he like claims that neobanks are like e-commerce businesses. So I remember reading that tweet and then being like, I can't wait to talk to this guy. It's going to go poorly. Um, and so like brought it up and had that conversation and it was actually really, really constructive because he saw how we were thinking beyond just being like a skin on the bank. We we're thinking about actually delivering deep value. Right. And that's really where Bain saw the same thing where Carrie has this deep expertise around like SMB banking, right? She's seen all of these deals. 
Um, and she saw that like we were approaching this differently because we have this like credibility in the space, this deep understanding of SMB needs as it relates to banking and their back office. Um, and so we had I like a meeting with I had a call with Jake and then I, I met Sheil. Um, and uh, there was a lot of back and forth on email. They were sending us questions. I was I remember like, sitting on a Saturday afternoon, like responding back, being like, I hope this works. Uh, and uh, then, you know, they, they, there was kind of a competitive situation. There was another firm that wanted to put together a term sheet. Um, and then, you know, BTV jumped on it and uh, got to say it was really, really wonderful uh, working with them. So that closed in October uh, of last year. So October of last year, that's not that long ago. So what were you, what were you, when you close that round, what were you thinking? What do you think you're going to do? Um, I, I mean, for us, it's all about the people. Uh, it really is. Uh, so our primary objective with any funding round is to make sure we have people that are aligned with us on like values. Um, and so as soon as we closed the capital and we did like, you know, deep reference checks on, on Jake and Shiel, um, and, you know, it all came up like roses, the, the references they provided, the back channel stuff, like all of it. Um, and so we were really excited to have like great partners on board that were like very well respected in fintech, right? Like this is effectively like a YC stamp of approval when it comes to fintech. Um, and so to us, we had to go from, you know, being a very lean team saying, okay, now we need to, you know, put this capital to work. Um, and the business just continued to increase at uh, the velocity, right? Like it, it's just started to work more and more. Um, and, you know, I, we, we send our investors monthly updates like any good uh, company does. That's not true. I think there's lots of good companies that don't do it. Um, but you should do it. And you yeah. should have two versions. You have one for your investors and one for everyone that's following along, which is Correct. different information. Because but, we were yeah. definitely following along so, at that stage. Really. So <laughs> maybe let's, let's, let's segue here. So like, you know, Carrie, you talked about when you met Yosef, was that before, like how long, when was that? Was that even before um, the seed round? Yeah, it was right before the seed round. And we kind of came a little late to the table. And I'll tell you, like, it's really important in your seed round. There might be folks that you want to court for the future. And I came in, you know, and our team came in a little bit late to the party. But Yosef was kind enough to let us put a small check in. Um, and what's great about being is we can write a check from $100,000 to $100 million. And so, you know, we wrote a small seed check to be a part of the raise, frankly, and to really get to know the team. Um, and, you know, we were impressed. And so we started tracking them pretty aggressively. And I think, as Yosef said, you know, I've, I and our team have been in and around the neo banking space for a long time. And one of the things I did at, at Capital One was build a small business bank from scratch. And so I had already known what we did wrong <laughs> and what we did right. <laughs> And I knew that what Yosef was doing was the right way to do it. This sort of deep integration with accounting, they'd really rethought customer acquisition, they'd rethought uh, how to integrate payments, how to make it sort of a part of the platforms business owners use. And I sort of were building the bank I wish I'd built. Um, and so I was paying a lot of attention and it felt really different from what I'd seen. And so when we started to see the traction, we started to lean in harder you know, they were, they were building great product and releasing it fast. They were attracting some incredible team members. And so really impressed with the team development. And, um, and Yosef did a nice job keeping us up to date on the progress, but also just staying close and frankly, and very appropriately, making sure we were adding value. So we were making introductions and, you know, he'd ask us questions and, you know, put us to work as he should. And so, you know, shortly after the seed round, we, you know, we started to think about the A and, and sort of proactively got a little bit competitive uh, and, uh, and there was a lot of preempting behavior. And so we were lucky enough to get a chance to lead the next round, both because we had a lot of conviction and we didn't have to do as much work, right? Because yeah. we've been tracking the company. And so it let us be quick. Uh, get Yosef and the team back to work and also uh, made sure that we sort of uh, had a chance to demonstrate the value we could bring to the table later. So I want to pick apart a bit what you've said there. So first, yeah. I find it very fascinating that you wrote a $100,000 check in the seed round. Um, and I'd like to get both. You, a little you know, bit more, but tiny. <laughs> okay, well, a small check because you said you, get 100, you didn't write, obviously it was a $100 million check cause, and, and, you didn't, no. and you didn't lead around. So, so I'd like to know from both your perspectives why does that make sense because like there's you know when i there's always this and I, it's usually for a lead but there's always you know founders tell me oh should i take a check and then what's a signaling risk if they don't invest and 
you know, Bain's not a small firm and, and it has a, a good reputation. So I'd love to hear from both your perspectives. Why does a small, why does that smaller check make sense? Yusuf, do you want to start and I'll jump in? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, a signaling risk is a real thing. Uh, no, no kidding. Um, I know, I know we've, we've, you know, seen uh, companies have challenges with that stuff. Uh, the reason we did it was because we actually had two large firms uh, doing the same thing. And so we figured that like, if, you know, what, if this thing is working, one of them is going to preempt um, and that's going to create a competitive situation. And it's going to like, it's, it'll be worth the juice will be worth the squeeze basically. Um, and thankfully we were right because it could have totally gone the other way uh, where it was like, you know, zero for two and you're really uh, in trouble. So uh, that was the bet we made and uh, it obviously played out in the, in the way that we had hoped. Yeah. And as an investor, look, we're unlikely to write a small check unless we really have pretty good conviction that we want to be involved. And these deals move fast. And, you know, when we got introduced to Yosef and the team, he'd already done all the diligence that he just articulated with Better Tomorrow and, you know, his kind of his seed investors. And so, you know, we didn't want to compromise that situation for him, but we wanted to be involved. And we, we knew early that it was likely we'd want to lean in on the A. And that's really why we do it. I mean, otherwise, I mean... Bain and many investors tend to want to take a lead position if we're going yeah. to be involved and get involved as early as possible. Uh, if we come late to the party, but we have conviction we want to lead the next round, we'll often do a smaller check. But it's not, it's almost always if we have conviction. Otherwise, so, there's not a point. Yeah. So that, that's very interesting because, like, my next follow up question, which I think you've already preempted with the answer, is like for $100,000, you know, it's 100000 200000 small, relatively small check for Bain. Um, You've got lots of other investments. So how do you make sure they get the attention and, and you lead in like you would with other companies? Because it's very easy saying, okay, I wrote a $50 million check here. And especially for, you know, I don't know if you were the one that was taking the lead on this, but you're an operating partner. So you have, you're leaning in and helping a bunch of other companies with day-to-day -day activity. How do you create the mindset where you, you got involved? But it sounds like maybe it's because of A. And then also, you also, what's your expectations? Because they're not leading. It's a, it's a, you know, a smaller check from that round. So. Well, what are expectations when you come with that check? Uh, I will say Yosef is very clear with me about his expectations for taking our money early. <laughs> I can see the hearts. Uh, no, he like said, like, hey, show, tell me you're really serious that you want to lean in and that I'm going to get attention from you. And in fact, he asked me to start attending board meetings early so he could get a sense for style and engagement, even though I wasn't officially a board member. So, uh, and I made that commitment myself. So I am, one of the things you have to do as an investor is be ruthless with your time. You can spend time with a lot of different companies. And I'm very, very careful about making sure that I have a short list of companies that I am, who I want to be invested in or who I'm working with on the portfolio side, but that I don't overstretch. Because you can't add value if you're focused on 50 different companies. You just can't. And it's important to me because of the purpose of what we're doing, we're trying to create transformative companies that are gonna make a real difference in the industry. You can't do that if you're spending time with a hundred different companies, you've gotta be thoughtful. And when we made that small check and we do this with every company, we made the decision that we're going, I'm gonna treat this company like they're part of my portfolio and I'm already sitting on the board. Otherwise, there's no point in making a small investment or taking Yosef's time. And I'm pretty committed to you really seeing this through and there's a high likelihood we'll want to lead the next round or a round after. So I think the two things are a commitment up front from both of us. Yosef was clear about his expectations. I was clear about mine and my intentions were clear. And then the second one is um, on my side, making sure I keep the number of portfolio companies I'm spending time with low. So Yosef, I'd like to hear, but you don't have to get into detail, but what are those expectations? Because I think a lot of a lot of founders just go out to raise and it's first capital and when there's a bit of demand like oh what else should i ask for so it sounds like you had a purposeful demand or request from your investors what what along what lines were you looking for help yeah i i think it's it is about that intention uh that they they are planning to help and it's not just the check and we'll see how this goes because uh, like you, you know like bain is a huge fund right like they just raised 1.2 billion dollars uh, and so, you know, if you're talking about a quarter million dollar check, it's like, uh, just trying to drive that number up. Uh, it's, it's, <laughs> but it's, it's, it's going to be $3 million, yeah, million check. Million, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. 
um, you know, it's 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 quite a drop in the ocean uh, for them. And so I wanted to have confidence. And so not only did you know Carrie and I communicate openly about this, but I also talked to some of her partners uh, to make sure that we were going to get the attention that that we felt you know we deserved. Uh, you know, as as part of this deal, um, and given the risk that you take when you're taking a small check from a large fund, um, and so that's that's really where it started. And I think, you know, a lot something I, I learned kind of early through one of our earlier investors is, you know, put your investors to work. Don't be shy about giving feedback. And like, you know, if you're not getting what you need, tell them uh, because I guarantee you they want to be helpful to you uh, and they want to deliver value. Um, and it's probably just that they're busy. Right. Uh, so you might have to send a couple texts uh, and, you know, uh, do that. Uh, and that that works. Um, and so, yeah, I think openness uh, around the relationship, I think it, it goes both ways. And I, I know I, I trust Carrie and Carrie trusts trust me. And uh, it's it's a it's a really strong relationship. So and you, by you, the way, you can get money yeah. from lots of places, yeah. particularly right now. It's really about who you know, what is the expertise? the partners bringing to the table? Um, are they demonstrating they're doing the work for you? Are they making customer introductions? Are they connecting you with relevant people in the industry that are helping you recruit? Like you can be picky as a founder and you should be. If you're building a great company, it's, you know, this is an environment where it's easy to get money, but getting yeah. money from someone who's gonna lean in and help make your company better or contribute in a meaningful way is, is the most important thing. You have to live with whoever your investors are for a very long time, so pick wisely. So I'm going to get back to the easy money and living with investors in a second, but one particular, oh, okay. <laughs> can, can, I, can I jump in on yeah. that? Um, Sheil, who's one of the partners on BTD, anytime I see him, he's like, so like, how much value is Carrie adding? I feel like she's the perfect investor for you. She's got experience <laughs> at zero. She ran, you know, Capital One, small business bank. Like, it's got to be amazing. And I think that was like part of the reason, right? That we took, you know, we took the chance on the, the you know, 250. Right, we do, we took that in the seed because we're like, you know, Carrie's a, a formidable person, and you know, she could deliver a lot of value and insights, and that was kind of our experience as we kind of, you know, had those initial conversations where it was, it was a good dynamic, um, and so I think that's also that's also worth calling out. Cool, and I, I love that. One question: I want to go back to asking for help. So you said you have to remind investors that are, you know, that you're right, they're busy and they may not be giving help. How do you? Make sure you get that help. Is it like you said? Is a text? Do you have precise? Like you say, I need an introduction to ABC, and I know you have a connection. Like what? Like what? What's the tips for founders to get help from their investors? Yeah, I I don't go that specific generally. So one is uh, I think the first thing you can do um, is once investors have given you money, is give something back. And I think that's for us uh, in our context, giving like a monthly update. Um, and doing it, we send it out on the third of every month. We've been doing it for two years. Like you can go back and see it and we've never, never missed one. Um, and so I think that inspires a lot of confidence in terms of the consistency and the quality of the people that, you know, our investors are dealing with. Um, so I think that's where it starts is like creating that consistency in the relationship. And then to the ask, we do general asks around like, hey, you know, we want to calibrate on what a world-class sales leader looks like. Can you help introduce us to you know folks in your network? And investors will go out of their way to say, "Hey, I know you know A, B, or C, or I know this person. I can make an introduction. You know, give me a couple lines." Um, and that is really you know where it starts. Is you know investors today really have to work hard uh, to earn allocation, right? Um, and yeah. I think that's that's the mindset that the best investors have, and that's what we see across our uh, you know cap table. And then. And I'd also add, I mean, Yosef does a really good job of this, but it's true no matter what company, like you should be telling your board where you need their help. Yeah. At the end of the day, like we we'll invest in the company because we trust Yosef and the team to build a great company. And we're here to help enable that however we can, but we also don't want to be, you know, there's a, there's a point at which help is not helpful. Um, and so, and I've lived that as a management team member as well. And so, um, so you want to be specific with your asks if there's something that, that a board can be helpful with or an investor can be helpful with. And, you know, you, every board meeting that you go to or every investor meeting, like have a list of things that are on your mind. And often it can be, Joseph wants to talk about something. How do I think about rhythms and routines as we scale the company? Or how do I think about selling, you know, XYZ proposition, or I want this introduction. Obviously the um, monthly updates help give us a way to think about proactive offers that we can make that might be useful. 
Um, but also come, always come with a list in the back of your mind of where someone can be helpful to you. And I think, Yosef, you do a great job at that. Um, but I think, you know, many companies that I work with, even if they're not even, by the way, it doesn't have to be limited to a company that knows me. If one of my partners has a company that needs an introduction and I have it, I'll often get tapped or asked to make introductions mm -hmm. on companies that I'm not actively involved with. And you should think about not just the partner that you're working with an investment firm, but also the broader investment firm, not just portfolio companies, but other connections or contacts. And that's where being capital, being a big organization can often be disproportionately useful because I can kind of work my way around the system to find people that uh, will be useful to my companies. Awesome. Uh, I like that also thinking about the bigger institution, not just the partner. Um, now let's get to the A round that happened. So it sounds like you were delivering upon what you, prom you promised probably a bit more um, it sounds like the round was preempted. So, you know, it was relatively quickly. So I imagine you didn't need money, right, at that point. So why did you decide to be open to the preempt? Because you easily said no and come back to me in six months and maybe even get a higher valuation. Um, so, Joseph, why, why, why take the money? Um, I think it has to do with confidence uh, in the space and uh, the company and what we're building and the team. Um, and then I think it also has to do with uh, what are the terms being offered? Um, so, you know, in this type of environment, uh, and especially in a competitive situation that's being preempted, um, you can work your way up to terms that are agreeable and perhaps would give you credit for, you know, a certain number of months of execution. Um, and that's really how we thought about it. We're like, okay, you know, in what scenario would we choose to do this? And what is the, you know, the risk balance that we feel comfortable with? And we were able to get to terms, you know, thankfully, and like, you know, candidly, we're, we're super lucky that this all kind of came together, right? Because it, it generally doesn't. And I've been on the other side of the table uh, where it's like, holy crap, this sucks, um, right? Uh, and so this, this, you know, this came together relatively quickly and we were able to get to terms that we felt like were representative of what we would have wanted to do in the next round anyways. Um, and uh, figured like, we, you know, we're going for it. We're building something for 10 years and we want to build an amazing team and having capital and partners behind us uh, that can really help us do this was, uh, you know, paramount. Um, and so we figured let's, let's just go for it. And then and Carrie, it sounds like you already sort of given us a preview rationale behind you was like, Hey, we have confidence in this team. We've now seen them execute. Let's not let this one get away. Yeah. And I think it's also that we had, you know, along the way, we were able to build conviction. So we were really clear that we believed the business was working. We talked to a number of customers. They loved the, the product and the capability. We had an inside look into the team and the progress. So we were able to move very quickly in a way that, again, didn't distract the team because raising money is a lot of effort and work, particularly reporting a number of firms. And so we were able to save the team that time get to evaluation, Yosef was clear about what valuation he wanted and expected, and, and we felt comfortable with that given what we'd seen. So we were able to get to some agreement. And then I would say the other piece is like, we could see the potential because the team had product market fit and were making so much progress of what additional capital might mean to the ability of the company to sort of scale and, and to strike while they had and have an advantaged position and a unique proposition in the marketplace. So not only did we sort of believe we wanted to be a part of it, but we we're like, wow, extra capital means this company can go fast and take over the market. So it increases for us yeah. the view of what success looks like for the team. So it sounded like you knew the capital would be used wisely. There was an opportunity, <laughs> there's going to be an ROI. And, and then it sounds like before this investment, you were a board observer and now you've gone to be a board member. Is that correct? I technically wasn't in a board observer. Oh. I'm not sure what I was. It was, it was so you're a board, a board hanger outer. I was a board hanger outer. Uh, only if I added value, if I was annoying, I'm sure you would have picked me out. And, uh, and then it became, have now become a board member, which is exciting. So I think one other place that founders get mystified is what, what, what has your relation changed? What as a board member, what's your responsibilities and how do you guys interact? Yes. Yeah, so if you want to start and I'll jump in. <laughs> Sure. I mean, we had a board meeting yesterday, so that was, yeah, that was we did. great. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, I, I mean, the, I, 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 honestly, it's it's pretty similar to like what it was before, which is, you know, we, the way we do our board materials, we do like a board letter and, you know, each functional lead does their own materials. Um, and each board member gets to like comment and, and engage and kind of, you know, ask questions about the business and push us to figure out, you know, how do we, how do we grow faster? How do we accelerate this thing? in the way that we all want to. 
Um, and so uh, I don't think, uh, to, be, to be honest, Carrie, I, I don't know if you feel like things have changed that much because I, I don't. Um, I don't. I just no. feel more yeah. married, uh, if that makes sense. Mm. Like, I feel like yeah. we're in it for the long haul. We are excited about the company. I felt, I feel just as much commitment as I did earlier, but I feel, I mean, I'm, I'm even more connected to the company. And so I love that orientation. Um, the conversations have continued to increase in quality as we've brought on new team members, as we've continued to sort of move forward. Um, but they're just as engaging as they were previously. It's just that we know we're in this really, it's a good thing we like each other because we're going to be together for a long, long time. <laughs> so I'm, I'm going to give you three more quick questions because we've gone over the time I told you I'd take. One is, what is excites you or scares you most about the next 18 months at Relay? I'd love to hear both of your answers. So uh, sure, I'll, I'll go, I'll, Carrie, I'll go first, I'll go first. Um, <laughs> So, I mean, the, the great existential angst that I have is like, uh, what does the workplace look like in 2022? Um, I think, you know, we're, we're looking at office spaces and we're like, yeah, we're going to go to this number, but how many people are going to be in office? Like, what's the remote situation? Um, so I think that's like, uh, you know, a multivariant problem uh, that no one has the answer to. And we're trying to do surveys and it's just, you know, it's hard uh, to get a read on this. Um, I think the the challenge that everyone faces uh, in this market is like, how do you hire the best people possible? Um, and that is really where we're focusing. So we've hired a uh, head of talent who previously ran talent uh, at uh, Wattpad. Uh, so as, as we've talked about, we're hiring ten, tenured leaders and really building like a world-class culture uh, around that. Um, so if anyone is looking for a new opportunity uh, to have a huge impact at a growing company uh, with great uh, you know, backers like Kerry, and hopefully great people like me, hopefully, um, uh, you know, come, come apply, go to relayfi.com slash careers. Um, and we'd love to talk to you or email me directly, uh, Yusef, Y-O-S, E-P-H at relayfi.com. Sorry for the ad, Alex. I had to go. No, I, I, I expect you to do it. If not, you know, I, I, I worry about it as a founder. <laughs> and I'll underline an exclamation point. Uh, yeah. I think hiring amazing, like I have no doubt that the team's going to hire amazing people. I love the team. We get the opportunity to interact, you know, deeply in the board sessions. And so I feel very connected to the leaders that Yusuf has brought on and I uh, think they're amazing. So talent's going to be a huge part of it as we scale. And then I'd say the other thing, I don't, I think I'm scared as much as I'm excited for the team. Like we're growing fast. So with that comes a lot of thoughtfulness around how do you, oh, I love that. It should just flash your relay.com slash careers up. You know, so, <laughs> so <good. laughs> but um, look, we're, you know, we're, we're growing the team really quickly and every single company, and I face this as an operator and I, I face it with the companies I work with on the investing side. It's just scaling really fast. It requires another set of muscles and the team is, you know, up for the challenge, but we need the right team in place. And you know, we're building new muscles every single day. Um, and every six months, the company is a brand new company because it's growing so quickly. So that is definitely going to be the next 18 months and hopefully a number of years to come. Cool. Um, now the next two are not related to the company. Um, one is if you, if, if you could see any company come into existence, what do you think we need to start up in? It doesn't necessarily have to be venture scale, but if you'd like to see a founder listening to this, start something up, any ideas? And maybe as you think about it, um, if someone wants to reach out to you, what's the best way? I guess you, you know, Joseph, Joseph you've already shared your email address. Is, is that better? Or is that, or, or is Twitter better? Or if someone just wants to talk with you? I love, I would say I'm Goman at BainCapital.com. LinkedIn is great, actually an easy way to get in touch. Um, and I've met a bunch of companies in that space. I would say, you know, there's a, a, there's a company that I just met that I was really excited about. Like, it's sad that financial services is still so far behind where it can and should be. And it's the reason I've spent my whole career there is it matters to people's lives and their livelihoods. And so, you know, I can't name just one company that I wish would start because every day I'm like super jazzed about the companies that I'm meeting. But I did meet a company the other day and sort of individual tax prep that I thought was so interesting, really combining, you know, the fact that we all live on so many platforms, bringing those together. So just like Joseph and the team are doing that in the small business sector, starting to think about that really actively in the consumer sector, not necessarily just as a neobank, but in across all aspects of financial services, insurance, tax, accounting, everything that you do as a consumer. So I think those themes of how do you take advantage of the data that exists today, the financial stack, the reality that we live across many uh, platforms, but just expect things to work together. Companies that are really building 
the infrastructure layer around that, as well as the sort of customer experience, I think are really powerful. Cool. You also have any ideas? I was just, I was just, you know what? I have a secret, like a private message group with myself on Slack where I put like business ideas, just like dumb ideas that come into my head. I put them in and I was like, do I have enough time to like open Slack and, and look at it? But here, here's an idea that I think is actually like compelling. I think, you know, we're going into a, an era where being a digital nomad is becoming, uh, you know, more mainstream. Right? Like you can look at the kind of great migration that's going on across the US from San Francisco to New York to Austin to Miami. Um, I think we've all heard enough about it in Canada, uh, which is quite funny. Um, and I, I just wonder if there's kind of like um, uh, kind of like a class pass for Airbnbs basically, or spaces to stay where you could like plug into a community where you have like co-working spaces and it's all together and you can do this across multiple cities. Maybe a better thing is like class pass plus like Soho House, I don't know. Um, but I think that would be, that'd be really cool. Uh, I would, I would write a check for that. I think, you know, I, I feel like a couple of companies started to do that before COVID and they went bust and now it's the time to do it. Like, yeah, I it wasn't, weren't they trying to do that with we live? Right. I mean, timing is everything. Yeah. Timing really is everything. But I, I think you're right. Cause actually I was just talking with a couple of founders today saying, Hey, we don't know what distributed hybrid looks like, but I think there's many class of people that are relatively young that will travel around the world every three months. And to be exactly. plugged in the community is very cool. And live across multiple places yeah. on multiple platforms and in very different ways. Yeah, getting, getting my taxes done if I had that lifestyle would be very helpful. I um, mean, see, like the yeah. Yosef, it's the combo of our two businesses. Right. Yeah. There we go. <laughs> that, that, as winner. part of the community, you get your taxes done. Um, <laughs> thank you both so much. I love this conversation. Um, thank you for taking your time out. Uh, and I'm sure you'll, you'll probably get a few emails after this. Awesome. Uh, well, this was cool. really fun, Alex. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks, thank you for, thanks having us. for joining us. And if, if you're enjoying this conversation, uh, please stay on because we're going to try a new feature where we're going to highlight uh, early stage company from around Canada that just raised. And so I'd love to have a special segment. We're going to do a lightning fire round of questions with Kirby. Uh, Kirby Cars raised $7 million in seed funding led by Connexus Ventures with uh, participation from Taskworks and Broad Street Bulls. Um, hi, Alex. Thanks for joining us. Hey, uh, thanks for having me here today, Alex. This is fantastic. Yeah, so you're based in Saskatoon, if I'm correct, right? Yeah, Kirby Cars is based in Saskatoon. So we founded the business back in uh, January of 2017. Uh, we got up to operations in uh, September of 2017. Uh, but I myself, uh, I'm based in Calgary, actually. This oh. is uh, one of our expansion markets. So we're, um, I moved, I've been living out here for the past five years. And uh, there's a whole story about uh, how the company got going, but uh, I'm uh, definitely based in Calgary here. So I'm gonna start with one quick question. Like, you know, based, you know, if you read Beta Kid, Global Mail, I, I think disproportionate attention and gets put to Toronto, Montreal, and Vancouver. But when I think of Alberta, Saskatchewan, there's a lot of exciting stuff happening. So what is, what, what as someone that's living in Calgary, has a company in Saskatoon, what is the ecosystems like there right now? Well, you know, this is a really interesting question. When we first started Kirby, our plan was to get it going in Calgary, actually. And uh, that's where I was based at the time. I still am to this day. My business partner was just in the process of moving uh, with his fiance from Saskatoon uh, out to Calgary. Um, but the crazy thing was that the, the will to get the business going, you know, the money, the partners, everything just came out of Saskatoon. So we decided to, you know, stop fighting gravity and just get it going there. Because uh, we, we believed that very strongly if we could get it going there, where it's, um, I'd say, a slightly more tech regressive market, we could take that anywhere else that we wanted to go. So that place would harden us very well. Uh, so Saskatoon also turned out to be a very nurturing place because it's kind of like it's hard to see, but you can kind of stretch your hands out and you can touch everybody you need to touch in order to get something going pretty quickly. It's a very, uh, and as long as something's going on there, people want to be involved. So it's a great place to get something started. Cool. And is that like, do you, is, is like, I imagine you go for like coffee, I guess, pre COVID with like Jordan from Seven Shifts and Catherine from Coconut. Is, is yeah. that how, yeah, like, I guess you need, you can quickly know the whole ecosystem and you support each other. Absolutely. The, uh, the ecosystem is fantastic. Actually, those two that you just highlighted right there have been great for Kirby. Uh, Jordan, Jordan Bush, for example, he, uh, he critiqued one of our first pitches. So he was, uh, he provided uh, pitching advice to me uh, back in the day. So, it's um, in learning from uh, Catherine as well. She's in the board of directors at Colabs. Colabs is the incubator that Kirby was a part of. Uh, so it's a, it's a very, you know, very tight knit community. Um, but those, uh, those two companies are definitely the leaders right now. There's a, 
they're the first cohort. Now there's a second cohort that's coming up and Kirby's at the front end of that, that awesome. second cohort. And, and for people that don't know what Kirby does, can you explain, give us a 30 second pitch? Yeah, I guess, um, so Kirby is Canada's first fully licensed online vehicle retailer. And uh, what that means for us is we were actually, going back to Saskatchewan being a nurturing place, uh, selling cars is a regulated industry. The regulator in Saskatchewan actually gave us exemptions for certain rules to operate mm -hmm. as a fully online uh, dealership. Uh, that doesn't, that hasn't been granted to my knowledge in any other part of Canada. I'm not even sure about in the United States either. So uh, what that means to say is other dealerships that operate online have to function just like a, tra a traditional dealer as far as the regulator's concerned. So that means you do have to have a place of business. You have to have salespeople. You have to have kind of all the trappings that go along with it. Whereas we got to avoid that. Um, so it's been for us that, that that's another reason why Saskatchewan is a great place to start up because we really got to try the business the way that it was supposed to be run. So cool. So what I'm hearing is all the other, I guess a, a dealership and lots of regulation has to have a, a physical location, has to have a, a salespeople, but you've, you're an official dealership, you're online and you've got exceptions to the rule. Correct. Yes. And, and so, so go on. Oh, nothing. I was just going to say, and those are actually relatively difficult to attain. Yeah. So a, a couple of questions, like how are you able to attain that? Like, that was my next question. like, like the, the, you, you have to go like negotiate with the regulators and, and you know, and you know, imagine the dealers don't like this. So they probably put a fight with it. So how'd you get this? You know, it, <laughs> it's a long road, but uh, it comes down to just like everything else. It's networking and making sure you know people. Uh, but like I was also saying, there's, Within the, uh, so I used to live out in Ontario for a long time. I was, um, so I, before selling used cars, I worked in the finance world. I worked in commercial lending. Then I was in, I worked in international finance at Export Development Canada. Uh, I finished up my finance career at CMHC in capital markets, managing a $2 billion portfolio. So all you have to do to, to, to get into selling used cars is climb the rungs of high public finance in Canada. So anybody can really do it. Um, so anyway, now I'm selling cars, obviously. Yeah. Um, and so, but, but where it all, uh, and so I was able to bring that, uh, that, that history of, you know, understanding finance, but also that understanding of government and how it works. Cause I worked in for public, uh, public, uh, crown agencies. And so what that meant to say was understanding how regulators function, uh, or, you know, even for example, how the, uh, the, the regional economic development authorities function has been uh, very important for us. So that's how that all began was I just knew how to talk to them and, um, like I was also saying culturally, there's just a bit of a difference like, within the, yeah. There's a very pioneering type of attitude out here, uh, very entrepreneurial. Like almost everybody has a business or a side project. And so uh, long story short is that uh, that's embedded in the culture. That made it easier for uh, the regulator to uh, understand. Cool. So it sounds like you knew how to talk to all the stakeholders. The culture was there and you worked through it. And then, yeah. and what cities are you currently, if I want to look for a used car, imagine you, you have geographic constraints just because the inventory. So which, which cities are you operating in currently? So Kirby currently operates across the entire Prairie region. So that's Alberta, Saskatchewan, and Manitoba. Uh, our inventory is largely centralized in Saskatchewan, but per uh, the latest funding round that we closed back in uh, the end of, at the end of March, uh, we're scaling up our presence across the foot, our entire footprint. So what that means is we will have uh, vehicles located in Alberta and then eventually in Manitoba as well. So um, what's interesting about the, the, the way that we found it as well is that, you know, Saskatchewan and Saskatoon specifically are, are small markets. But every single market that we expand to afterwards is a much bigger market than where we came from, which is uh, it's an interesting growth story as you go. So it's, it's, it, you know, it, it would be another story to say that we were founded in Toronto, for example, yeah. and that, oh, hey, we're going to raise money and move into the Prairie region. That's a crazy story to tell somebody, uh, relatively speaking. But, so, um, yeah. <laughs> so if you can keep expanding, eventually you have to go to Rio de Janeiro, Mexico to get like, you know, you know mega cities. I think all of these companies are moonshots. So eventually you want to be on the moon too, but <laughs> yeah. Um, and tell us about raising money, like in, in Saskatoon, um, you know, imagine COVID helped, but you just, you did raise 7 million seed rounds. So congratulations. That. Tell us about the experience, how you went about finding your partners. Uh, yeah, I think, you know, raising $7 million almost killed me, but here I am, you know, I think you, whatever doesn't kill you makes you stronger at the end of the day. The, uh, but raising money on the prairies, I would say, isn't, is definitely not, is not, definitely not easy. It's not like Silicon Valley. Uh, people aren't ready to write checks everywhere. 
But the things that attract the investors out here are still are the same things that attract investors everywhere. So for us, for example, the market opportunity, I think is an important thing to talk about um, within the, the automotive sec uh, sector. Uh, it's a $1.3 trillion market between Canada and the US. Like forget the globe, just Canada and the United States. In Canada alone, it's a $200 billion market opportunity. And so that includes, you know, the sale of used cars, which is where we are today, uh, eventually new cars as well. There's a service opportunity, but the bulk of the profits in this sector come from finance and insurance. And so um, like the, when Carrie was on just uh, being interviewed uh, just prior to this, she mentioned that every business really is a fintech business if you look under the hood far enough. Uh, and, and dealerships are exactly that. So it's the combination of, uh, of this large market opportunity. Obviously, we've had uh, exits in the space. There are three companies in the U.S. that have exited. Uh, their valuations are quite high. That's attracting capital. And then, of course, there's always this fintech play that's sitting out there as well. Uh, currently, half of the customers that we, sorry, 55% of our customers take loans, which we originate at Kirby. Uh, and um, a good chunk of them will also take uh, insurance and extended warranty products as well. So we're a, we're a very powerful platform, or companies like us, I should, I should say generally, are powerful platforms for, for a fintech. Interesting. So I, so I, I love that. Uh, and then how do you find actual people that actual uh, VCs invest in you? Like, are they local? Like, I, again, I'm, I'm not as familiar with them as some other ones I've known. Like Bain, obviously Bain Capital Ventures, big name. Everyone knows about them. Uh, but are, are they local players? How did you get connected with them? How do you find them? Yeah, I mean, you know, you, you, these are really good questions to ask because the uh, lots of this stuff didn't, a lot of infrastructure in the, on the, in the Prairie region just didn't exist uh, that long ago. So... When I was mentioning that, uh, you, you mentioned two names before. There was uh, Jordan Bush at Seven Shifts and uh, uh, Catherine Renier over at um, uh, Coconut Calendar. Uh, they've raised a lot of money. They were the, the first cohort, really, I'd say, out of the, the Saskatchewan tech eco space. Uh, but since then, there's been a lot of infrastructure built out. The province have, has put a lot of money in. Uh, new investment funds have been founded. So that's where we came along, is right at the beginning of all of that stuff. So one of the, uh, one of the investors is PFM Capital. Uh, they use the subsidiary called SaskWorks. Uh, they're the largest labor-sponsored fund in Saskatchewan. They've been watching us since day one. So there's a long relationship with those guys. And then uh, Connexus VC, they're headed by Sean O'Connor, who came out of um, a company called Grow. Uh, they were a BC-based uh, fintech play. Um, he, so he's running that, uh, that fund. And um, he's known us for about two or three years as well. So some longer relationships. But we got to the place where it was time to scale up. It became obvious. Uh, you know, back during the pandemic, we saw sales increase pretty dramatically. Margins that we were earning were quite uh, were quite fat, actually. Uh, we compare very well uh, to, you know, well, actually all three American competitors in the U.S. Uh, we turn inventory as fast as Carvana, which is uh, in line with the sector generally. We have in, uh, our margins are fatter than what they have at um, uh, uh, Vroom and uh, and Shift. Um, there's another statistic I had as well. Anyhow, long story short is that we actually compare very well to those guys, and part of the reason for this is that we do we're in a, we're in a choice region. Um, you know, automotive margins tend to be a bit higher in, in the western part of the country. And so just kind of a, naturally, like I was saying before, it's sort of a nurturing place to get a company started. This is one of those other added benefits that have been great for us. Cool. Um, two last questions. One is, what's the, what's the future? You know, uh, we get this question a lot, and it's uh, one of those things where I think you don't really know the future until you know where you've come from. And I think, um, you know, growing up in the on the prairies, we've had to do a lot of things, I think, that other companies haven't, which is to, you know, become a little bit... Uh, um, it's actually like Yusuf was saying during the previous interview, you need to, um, with a lack of resources, a lot of ingenuity comes out of it. And that's what we've, uh, we've faced ourselves. So we found that our focus needs to be a lot on profitability. That's one of those things that makes us stand out versus the competitors. Uh, also coming from a place with, it's just a cultural thing. We like that. We like our businesses to stand on their own a little faster. Um, that helps us grow. It gives us options. And that's what we're looking for. So for us, we're scaling up across the prairies. We'll solidify that footprint. Currently today, we have a monopoly over that business model. And then, of course, we're looking for, uh, to expand to the rest of Canada. Uh, but we're definitely not immune to uh, expansion markets in the U.S. We actually ex export cars today into the Seattle area. And so that might become a place for us to go in the future. Cool. And the last question, if someone wants to contact you, what's the best way to reach out to you? Yeah, um, please uh, get in contact with me at my email address is alex, A-L-E-X, at C-U-R-B-I-E dot C-A. That's alex at Kirby dot C-A. Uh, but you can also follow Kirby at uh, Kirby Cars on Facebook, uh, Instagram, and Twitter. And uh, actually, I'll throw in one more question. Are you hiring? <laughs> We're always hiring. Okay. So one of the big things that we got going on um, for this with this latest funding round, we're looking to add to the team pretty substantially. 
Cool. And I guess it's, uh, it's on your website. It's uh, on the website. We're also on Indeed. Um, but you can also reach out to me as well to find other job opportunities. Happy awesome. Thanks so much for coming, joining us, Alex. This is, I, I love the success and I hope to see you all across North America soon. Very much appreciated. Thank you so much for the shout out uh, about our deal back on uh, May 13th. And thank you for inviting me on the show. It's been a pleasure. It's my pleasure having you. Thank you so much. Um, if, if you're enjoying what we're doing here, uh, you should you want to know more about what's going on in the ecosystem. You can subscribe to the TechTO newsletter uh, where we highlight some amazing companies, some fun you know news that's going on in the industry and people. It's at techto.org backslash newsletter. Uh, also, we want you to join us for our future events. Uh, you could, first of all, if this is the first time listening to Founders and Funding, you can listen to our podcast and hear the past episodes. We have about 30 episodes out there with different pairings of VCs and investors and founders. And next Monday, we're at 4 p.m. Pacific and 7 p.m. Eastern. We're having our next Tech TO together. This one will be focused on health tech. We're going to have Sharif Habib, co-founder and CEO of Dialog, who just went public, to come talk about their journey to IPO. And we're going to have Andrew Arruda, CEO of Automate Medical, who is helping medical professionals work smarter by digitizing and analyzing patient data. Please join us. It's going to be very exciting and very uh, interesting. Um, and then next Tuesday, we'll be joined by Adil Kazmi of Swift on our Canadian Rocketship podcast. On our, our Canadian Rocketship podcast, what we're doing is we're highlighting companies that can help you accelerate your career. And every week, we're interviewing one of the founders featured in that. So make sure you join us for that. Um, and then thank you for joining.